Good morning and greetings to each one of you in Christ's name. It certainly is good to be here this morning. And I guess I'm just not sure what to say. It's been some months that we've been preparing for, for this day. And not only this day, but to go on from here as a group, as a brotherhood, uh, worshiping and serving God together. And uh, I just want to thank God for this morning and just for the privilege of, of this group being together. And uh, I just want to wish a blessing on each one of you for being here and for what has happened to bring us to this day. And I think it was just this morning, my wife mentioned the fact that she's glad that I didn't have to do everything to, to get ready for our church service here this morning. And so I say that to say thank you to, to you all for what you have done to be a part of, of um, preparing for meeting together and, and having church together. Matt mentioned the, the verse there in Ecclesiastes, and it has been good to hear. I enjoy um, listening, but I am also thankful that I can be used in this way this morning, and I just want to wish a blessing on each one who has shared this morning, um, whether here up front or in the Sunday school classes elsewhere. This morning for a message, you can turn with me to the book of Psalm, Psalm chapter 48. I don't generally share a psalm, share a message from the Psalms, um, but this morning I am uh, planning to bring to you a message uh, mostly from Psalm 48, and there is one other reference that I do want to turn to here towards the beginning. I've entitled my message, Great is the Lord, taken from the first phrase of the psalm here. Maybe we could say the greatness of God as seen in the church. Could be different titles you could give it. I'd like to read the psalm at this time. Maybe I'll invite you all to stand with me as we read. Psalm 48, the familiar psalm here. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For, lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. 
We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide, even unto death. You may sit down. The psalmist begins here with the words, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. You know, I believe we can try to, we can speak about the greatness of God. But to really do justice to the greatness of God, we can't do that. And we'll look a little more here in that. First, the first thought here is that our Lord is great. And the verse I wanted to turn to here was in Deuteronomy chapter 3. It was uh, Moses speaking of his, his desire to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 3 and verse 24. Verse 23 says, And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy, and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might? And then we have a request to go over the Jordan and but how that the Lord denied him that privilege of going over the Jordan into the promised land. But notice the, uh, in the first part there, it says, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness. And that stood out to me, the word begun in there, in relation to God showing his greatness to Moses. You know, we see the greatness of God in the natural world around us, as we look out in nature, as we look across the road at the, the river and how one day the river runs low in its bed and we get a tremendous amount of rain and the river rises to a, a mighty river. And in those things we can see, God, the, na the natural world around us, also in the natural, the supernatural world, around us as we see uh, the work of God in, in um, lives, in miracles, in just different things, how he shows himself beyond what we can really explain, humanly speaking. Here Moses says, well, we know that Moses had seen the power of God and the greatness of God in some really tremendous ways. He had seen the plagues in Egypt, things that man couldn't describe, couldn't explain a reason for beyond God. Moses had seen the parting of the Red Sea 
indeed a miracle that happened there. And also how water poured out of the rock. And just how God carried the Israelites through the wilderness those years. And what does he say? He has begun to see the greatness of God. Our God is great. He is above what we can comprehend. And what we are able to see of the greatness of God is only the tip of the iceberg. We have only, at best, begun to see the greatness of God. Greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. And then he talks about the beauty of Mount Zion. And that beauty of Mount Zion, I believe, is speaking of of, uh, Jerusalem there and the, the Temple Mount and speaking of the Temple there. And, and the psalmist is speaking of that beauty, the natural beauty there. But I think we can liken this to the beautiful Church of Christ. The Church of Christ, a beautiful picture. I had been thinking about how we look out a window and we see a sunrise. And, and I did that the other morning. I looked out the window and there was a beautiful sunrise outside my window. And, you know, I looked at the window as well um, in thinking of that thought. But what I really saw was not the window. Yeah, there was a little bit of dirt on it and some grids in the window that you saw that. But really what I could see as I looked out there was a beautiful sunrise. And I think the church is like a window. When others look at us, what do they see? Do they see you? Do they see me? Or do they see Christ working within us? They may see the person of you or I, but do they see, though they don't realize it, are they seeing Christ within and working within our lives? That morning I had looked through the window and I saw a sunrise. Later in the day, I was at another window. And it was a cloudy window. It was, I think, a double-pane window that had lost its seal. And I really saw that, the cloudiness in that window. What if the window of our life is smudged? There was a woods beyond that window that I saw. And I could put forth some effort and I could look at that woods. I could see the trees, not real clearly, but I could see them. But those clouds in the window caught my attention. I also had to think, too, of how uh, the past week or so, there were probably quite a number of people who were boarding up their windows for the hurricane. 
totally covering the windows. And if you would look at a window like that, you couldn't see anything but the board on the other side. I ask you again, can the world see a beautiful picture of Christ as they look within our lives? Can they see beyond us or see within us? Are we clearly blood-washed and forgiven, redeemed? Is that what's in our lives? Is that what our lives consist of? Is the boarding taken off so that Christ can be seen within us? What about the smudges? Maybe the boarding has been taken off, but what about the smudges? Uh, Sometimes we need to wash our windows to get rid of those things, or our glasses to get the smudges on there. You know, God is continuing to work to clean those smudges off of our lives, to give a clearer picture of Christ to the world around us. And we want to be faithful in allowing his continued work in doing that. Do I display a powerful God, the one who can dry up the Red Sea, the one who gives water to a multitude in a dry land? Will we be, as a congregation here, will we be a clear picture of Christ to the world around us? Verse 3 speaks of God being known in her palaces for a refuge, in the palaces of Zion. And even so, God within the church of Christ is a refuge. And I think we could say the church is a refuge. And this is something I, I desire as I think of our oncoming generation. Yes, for us, each one of us, but I, I think of it with the young ones coming on, that the church might be a refuge for them. And I also think as we consider an outward vision to the world around us, just a, a longing, a desire that we would be a refuge and a safe place. And I believe that as a church is alive and experiencing the power of God, that we can be and will be that refuge that we are meant to be as a church. It says that God is known in her palaces for a refuge. And, you know, when the world looks on, they see people in the church. And that is what the church is made up of. It's made up of people. But just going right back again, you know, it's not you and I that the world sees that is such a safe and a a good refuge. But it's actually God. It's God working within our lives. The world doesn't realize that they are seeing through the church that window and seeing Christ as a refuge. You know, the world is a battleground. It is not a safe. It is not a good place to be. It is not a desirable place to be. And as I thought of the church being a refuge, there were two words that came to mind pretty quickly to me. And the first word was holiness. 
Holiness is a call to live as we were intended, as we were designed to live by God, to live in his ways. And it's not, holiness is not just a bunch of limits that God puts on us. Holiness, it's exactly what God intended for us to be, to to live for him. It's right, it's good, and it's where we find fulfillment and purpose in life. And you know, the church, the, the world, the world is looking for purpose. And they try in a whole lot of ways where they don't find purpose. But rather, there's chaos when they live for self as Satan would have them to live. And so I believe that as we live holy lives and as we have that to offer to the world around us, that that is a part of the refuge. Another part of that refuge, word that came to mind is the word love. And uh, maybe this is, is a little, well, could go along somewhat with what Brother Lamar shared in Sunday school about the testimony of, of homes and marriages and how that is such a testimony to the world around us. To have that love that, that is real. And I, I think of also in a brotherhood, in a congregation, where we have a love that says, even when we may not fully agree on things, even when the sailing may get a bit rough and we have to work through things, that that love remains and that we continue to work together to, to show our love to each other. You know, that's real love. And the world doesn't have that love. There may be a degree of love there, but it may be a little more conditional, a lot more conditional. And may our love, one for another, be unconditional, that we are able to go through, yes, the good times, but also the difficult times, and come out loving one another even greater. If we get rid of either of these, holiness or love, we have nothing to offer to the world, nothing at all. But with the work of Christ in our hearts, the church provides refuge. The next number of verses, I, I don't have much to take from them um, in relation to the message here. Uh, I would say that the kingdom of this world does not know what to do with the church, taken from these verses. And just um, maybe running down through here, verses 4 through 7, uh, there are words like uh, marveled, uh, backing up here. Yeah, okay, verse 5 there, it says the word marveled, the word troubled, the word hasted away, fear, pain, and um, yeah, just a number of words there. And I, we need to recognize, and I think we do recognize, that the kingdom of this world is an opposing force to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. They are opposing kingdoms. They do not work together. And at times, and we may, 
have experienced this a lot in our lifetime, where the world, in a sense, passes by, like it says here. The kings were assembled. They passed by together. I don't know if I'm taking that out of context or not, but um, we have experienced for our people relative times of peace. But there are times that the world lashes out against the church. And there are many people who are facing that today. The kingdom of this world that is trying to put down the church, to snuff it out, doesn't know what to do with it. And in a sense, the church is a prick to the kingdom of this world. It goes against the efforts of of the world. And we don't know what we may face yet in our lifetime as far as the world and friction and persecution. But may we be strong should that come to us. The next couple of verses, I've uh, verses 8 through 11, I have kind of lumped them together. Um, yeah, some here speaking of, of praise to God. Um, verse 8, uh, there's a, a couple words here, a couple phrases. As we have heard, so have we seen here in the city of our God, and we can relate that to the church. As we have heard, so have we seen. And our testimony here this morning is a faithful God. What we know of God. That's what we've seen. God has never failed one of us here. He never will fail one of us. We can take confidence in that. But I'd like to relate that to the church here, a faithful church. Having a testimony that is clear, allowing Christ to clearly show through us. Can those around us say, as we have heard, so have we seen. So are we seeing in the church. Or maybe we could say, does the world see within us what they understand of God, what they understand of his word? This morning we here are the face of this church. This is our first Sunday that we're meeting together. Many of us have not been at Melmont that long. Um, Sister Betty Ann shared last Sunday, was it 43 years that you had been at Melmont? And you named two people who were there longer and there's not many of us here who have been there for even 30 years. Were you there for 30 years, Louie? Brenda? Okay, so 35 years. As I look on this congregation, uh, were you there 30 years, Matt? Okay, Matt was there for 30 years. Probably... 
If I would ask for a raise of hands for how many of you have been at Millmont for 10 years, it would be just a handful. If I'd say five years, we'd be getting a little more. So um, anyways, I bring that out to say that in some ways I think maybe it's possible that some of us have hid behind those Betty Ann's who were the face of Millmont or these Louis Hoovers or Ernie Weavers and you can name those others. Maybe we've, and, and it is true, they were a little more the face of the church because um, people would say, oh, you know, is that where so-and-so goes? I hear it different times. Is that where Matt, is that where the Seagrists go? Or, yeah, something like that. Um, so, but no, indeed, we, we were the face of Millmont. We were. But this morning, I guess I'm saying we cannot hide behind those who have been here longer than we are. We are the face of this church that is meeting here at Palace Creek right now. And do we feel the weight of being the face of this church? Do we recognize that what people see in our lives individually and as we tell people what part of a church we what part what church we are a part of that what they will associate us with that is what this church is so that uh, to me that bears a lot of weight and i trust that we take that seriously will the world see what they expect from god's people <clears throat> We have thought of thy loving kindness, verse 9. Thy loving kindness. Just thinking of God and who he is. Thinking of praise to God. May we be a brotherhood and a body of praise. I mentioned before about God being so faithful. And going on down here, verse 10 uses the word righteousness. Uh, verse 11, judgments or just. God is righteous. God is just. And he will be faithful. And brothers and sisters, may that draw our hearts to God in praise, in glory. And as we gather here, not only this morning, but I trust for many years to come, as we gather together, may we be a house and a people of praise to God. Verses 12 and 13. Bring out the security of the church. We talked about the church as a refuge, and I think um, the security of the church can go along with that closely. But the security of the church is the work of God. It is not man's, church, man's work. The words towers and bulwarks are used here. Tell the towers thereof. Or maybe we could say know the towers. Know the safe places, the lookouts. Know the towers. And then... 
in verse 13, Mark ye well her bulwarks, okay? Knowing the bulwarks, the, the, um, the ramparts. And, you know, that was security and protection of the city. But as a church, we must have towers and bulwarks as a safety to our church. In the Old Testament, maybe the towers and bulwarks applied to the Mosaic law that they practice. But today we can apply this, the towers and bulwarks, the safeties to the scriptures, to the words of Jesus, to other teachings of the New Testament. And I had to think, how do we look on the teachings that were so important to our forefathers? What are we doing with those teachings? Are they important to us today? Our forefathers were willing to suffer for them. They held on to the teachings of the word of God at great cost. Would we be willing to give our lives for the teachings of God's word? What are we doing with the doctrines that we have stood for? That of nonconformity, of non-resistance, the simple life, relying on God for our needs rather than just living lives of ourselves on our own. Brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning, how secure is our brotherhood? Will we protect the teachings and the doctrines of the word of God? We must stand for truth. Are we committed to being a refuge and a safe place? A body where Christ clearly shines through. The last verse. A verse of, just a beautiful verse, a verse of commitment. For this God... The great almighty God that we've been reading of. God of the church, the faithful God, the God who is worthy of our praise. For this God is our God forever and ever. That's eternal. He will be our guide even unto death. And I would just like to, along with each one of you, claim this commitment for the congregation here. That this God will be our God. And trusting that he will guide us, even unto death. And as I had to think of, of guiding, God guiding us as a congregation, We don't know what that looks like for the future. We don't even know for the very near future. I had to think of our outreach committee and even something, may I say, as small as finding a building. I know, that feels big to you, but in the grand scope of things, it is that is something pretty small. Okay, I don't mean to to uh, put down your responsibility there. But um, God even cares 
about things like the building that we meet in. And hey, he has led us. He has given us this building for now. But just as we go on through life and we don't know what the questions are that may come up, the things that we need to work through, the things that we need the leading of God, but we don't have to fear. We don't know how God will lead. We don't know how it works, but he always does, and we can trust him for that. I'd like you to stand with your Bibles open, and I just want to read together as a commitment from us as a congregation here, this final verse, Psalm 48, verse 14. I want to read this verse, and then I'll follow with a prayer. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death.